0: Welcome to Everyday News with the Blantons. That's Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton. On this show, you'll learn through education, awareness, and promotion exactly how you view the world and your place in it. Now, here are the hosts of the program Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton.
1: Welcome, welcome, and happy Monday. You're listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. We're your hosts, Latasha
2: and Mark Blanton.
1: Please remember to connect with us on social media by liking and following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and on our website, TheRealSouthAfrica.com. You can also send an email to info at TheRealSouthAfrica.com. First of all, I want to say happy Monday, and before we get too far into the show, say happy birthday to my sister-in-law, Victoria Bryant, out in California. Uh, Today on this show, we're going to take the first part of the show to speak to Mark. Uh, He will undoubtedly tell his side of the story and we'll get a little bit about his background and then we'll have the wonderful opportunity to speak with pediatrician, entrepreneur, and now author, Dr. Joni Johnson, about her book. So, Mark, you were away last week and were unable to tell your part of the story regarding some of the events that I discussed. So for those who have patiently waited to hear your version of the story, please let everyone know a little bit about you and where you come from.
2: Okay. Um, My name is Mark Edward Blanton, um, the son of Edward Henry Lewis Blanton. So it's pretty clear that I was named after him. I'm actually from a little small town that's probably underwater right now. Uh, Spring Lake, North Carolina. That's where I grew up at. Um, It's a little small um, suburb of Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, right outside of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, Like I said, I'm one of many children. I'm one of five. I'm the fourth out of five. And so that's just a little bit about me and my family. And about me, just a little bit. I actually played a little bit of sports when I was younger. I played a lot of popcorn and football, so I was really, really, really into football as I was coming up, and it was it was good. I stopped playing when I got about uh, about in middle school and so forth. So it was fun. Um, one of my achievements when I was younger, just so you can uh, understand, you know, uh, how I see things, is we had this thing in, in middle school called um, the Metric Five Hundred. And basically what that was, you make a wooden car, you take a CO2 cartridge, you put it in the back of the car, and you pop them, and you race against other people. And the whole premise behind it was to design the car so it can be the lightest but strong enough to survive the the race itself. And we had a big old thing at, at school where every class had their champion, and then they put all the champions together, and we had to race our cars. And... It was funny because the whole school came together, and it was a, and it was a big deal. And the reason why I feel it was a big deal because years later, I looked at my um, transcript from middle school, and stamped on there it was the metric 500 champion. So I just thought that was awesome. And to this day, I still I still tout that I was the metric a um, 500 champion. So that was a, that was a good thing. Um, I went to high school there in Fayetteville at Pine Forest Senior High School, which is. We have our 30th class reunion coming up this weekend, so hopefully I can make it. I know we got bad weather and things like that going on down there, so hopefully I can make that. But, again, I just want to give you a little bit more about me. (laughs) Yes, I am. I just want to let everybody know just a little bit more about me and so forth. Um, When I was in high school, you know, you really don't hear this a lot, but I actually joined the Army when I was in high school. What does that mean? I was in the Army National Guard. So, between my junior and senior year, I went off to basic training. And for those who understand the process, it's called split option. I decided to, then I came back to high school after I graduated basic training, finished up my senior year, and then I went off to school again for my advanced training. Uh, And that was fun as well, but of course, taxing. (laughs) Um, Then from there, um, I actually. Uh, left the National Guard and I joined a thing called the Regular Army, you know, or the Army, uh, the one that we all know and love. Um, at that point, I got an opportunity to go to Germany, which was awesome. It was actually really good. Um, that was my that was my first option, and they gave it to me. Um, I went to a little town right outside of Würzburg called Kitzingen. Have um, you ever heard of it? Uh, I'll be surprised. It's a little small town. Um, and then at that point, I went to a combat arms unit but my best thing about the whole time I was there was I got an opportunity to drive on the Audubon. Uh And that was the biggest reason why I wanted to go. So I um, was able to get a car, I was able to get a license, and I go pretty much everywhere. I, I had a great opportunity to visit a lot of cities, a lot of European cities that uh, normally I would not be able to go to. So when I got a weekend off, that's what I did. I would go to Paris, I would go to Munich, I would go to Berlin. And then, of course, one of the biggest things, even though this is September, Octoberfest, That was always a good time. I would go every year while I was there. And that was from whew, back in 1989 to 1991. Then from there, I got to call the duty <laughs> to go to Desert Storm. So I did that um, in 1990. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was hot. That's all I can tell you. It was very hot. Uh, it, it was interesting because I was really young. Uh, but at the same time, I was able to, uh, you know, use my training and so forth that I got from basic training and advanced individual training, and I survived it. Um, one of the things that I like to bring up about Desert Storm, because, you know, there's a lot of things that happen, but when we liberated, uh, Kuwait, uh, the next day, my unit, we rode into that, into Kuwait City, and it was kind of weird because you've never been in a in a war-torn area before, but, uh, or at least I hadn't, and I went, and um, everybody was happy to see us. You know the Americans are rolling in the town, and you know the women they would show you their ba- show us uh, their, their babies that were born during the occupation and so forth, and they, they were really appreciative of what the U S. Army did at that time, and especially our unit. Um, then a little bit more about me, um, I got an opportunity to be stationed back at home. Um, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I thought that was cool that the Army was nice enough to send me back home and I was glad to go. So I got there, I went to a special operations unit. uh, It's called JFK, Special Warfare Center and School. So if you've known anybody who was special forces at any point, they went to that school to get their uh, initial training and so forth. I did about three years there uh, in the Army and then I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Fort Knox, Kentucky was a little bit different than Fort Bragg simply because uh, it was a training base. But we all know Fort Knox because of all the gold that they have there. And, yes, they do have gold there. Okay. So um, after that, I became an Army recruiter. I got selected to be an Army recruiter. It wasn't my choice, but it was a, it was a very difficult Job. Very, very difficult job, but it, it, was, it was rewarding because the only way that anybody can join the military is through a recruiter. So it was great to be able to sit down with young folk, uh, especially back in 1996, and uh, talk, to them, talk to them about joining the Army and, of course, further in their careers. Uh, and, and then after that, to know a little bit more about me, I went back to Germany. It was my choice. I liked it um, back in 1999 just to get back on the Audubon again bought me a fast car, and I drove it, uh, drove a BMW M5, and it was, a, it was a great car, and I drove that car the entire time I was there um, in Germany, um, got an opportunity to do, uh, you know, several leadership positions, I worked at headquarters, and I got a chance to travel Europe all over again, so I really, 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 really enjoyed myself um, in the Army, and then I made a big-time transition, and I uh, applied for the U.S. Secret Service, the Uniform Division, and got accepted. That was interesting. Never thought I would be at the White House. Never been to D.C. prior to. So, um, at the end of the day, I, was, I transitioned from the Uniform Division into a plain clothes position on the Vice President's detail. Now, I've that got plenty of stories to tell you about that, and that was very interesting as well. Um, the good part about it was I was there for about eight years, got a chance to um, uh, be on the Chinese detail and also the Biden detail.
1: All right, Mark, that was a great follow-up for your whole life. We're going to go into our first break now, uh, and when we come back, we'll finish up uh, Mark's story, and then we'll get a chance to talk to Dr. Joni Johnson. Please don't forget to hit us up on email or Twitter or Facebook. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry
3: App World, or Android Market. MailJet is changing how teams email with the launch of their collaboration toolkit create and send emails with your team faster with real-time collaboration and in-app commenting learn why businesses like product hunt microsoft avis and more send millions of emails every day with mailjet at hello.mailjet.com forward slash voice and try mailjet premium for one month free that's hello.mailjet.com forward slash voice streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Want to find out more about the program? Send an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com Now, back to Everyday News with the Blantons.
1: Welcome back, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to Everyday with the Blantons and right now we're going to continue and hopefully you'll hear Mark's version of how we met. And like I said before, I'm sure it will undoubtedly be a little different than my version of the story. Go ahead, honey, you can continue.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for uh, people, you know, for everybody listening to us. Uh, I just wanted to be uh, just let you know that I appreciate you listening to my story. And uh, if you identify with any of anything, you know, I understand, especially being a soldier. But one thing people always ask us is, how did we meet? Now, for some odd reason, we have a different version of how we, how we met. I guess she has the female version and I have the male version. So this is kind of what happened. Now, I was working for the Secret Service at that time, and I, I normally get, get like Tuesdays and Wednesdays off because weekends we generally had to work. So what happened was I would go to D.C. a lot, go to D.C. Tasha didn't live in D.C. She lived down in Roanoke, Virginia. So I didn't know I was going to meet her Meet her that day. But what happened was I went to Richmond. Now, Richmond is, is, is right between D.C. I mean, excuse me, where we live was right between D.C. In Richmond, so it was the same amount of distance. So I went down to Richmond, and I happened to go into a real nice, built-up area with a lot of shops and a lot of nice stores, a lot of high-end, um, you know, um, places to eat and things like that. And I went into a, a Barnes and Noble, and as soon as I walked in, I saw this young lady going darting around the corner, around the around the books, and I said, "Hmm, I'm a single guy, so I go over there and I say." Hey, how you doing? I kind of reached my hand out and I used my old skills from being a recruiter. You know, just state my name, look at them, and put my hand out. And she spoke to me and she said hello. And I was, so we had a conversation. And then I asked her, you know, would you want something, you know, some coffee because you know they have those those Starbucks or some levels of coffee inside those stores. So we ended up going over there and we sat down and we talked for like an hour and it got real comfortable. And I, and I was really liking her. I thought, like, you know, she's a really nice, nice young lady. And, you know, she just got her hair done. She was looking, looking really good and so forth. But I was just only down there for a few hours. So at some point she had to leave and I had to leave. And so she walks out with me. And I think one of the things that kind of caught her eye was at the time I had a nice uh, Mercedes. It was a Mercedes C32. AMG was black, tender windows. Everything was, you know, you know right with it. it. was shining that day. And I think she saw that. And I was like, okay, okay. So, I, but I remembered when I left her that I had a, a date somewhere else later on that night. And I was supposed to be going to see Lana Ritchie, who was one of my favorite, favorite guys, um, favorite artists. So, at that point, I just decided on, on my drive back home in my 45 minutes that I was not going to go on that date. And I didn't. And Tasha told me she was going to come and visit me when she got her hair done. And when she came and got her hair done, she got it done in Richmond. Then she drove 45 minutes north to see me. And that's kind of how we met. So after that, she came to see me. We became, you know, really close, really, really close, as you probably can guess. And then I asked her, I said, "Hey, well, you know, married? I, have, I need." To... <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Got married. And one of the funny, the funny things was, you know, I asked her to go to the to the vice president uh, reception party that he was having, and we and I asked her, and she acted like she wasn't really interested, but I, I kind of knew she was, so she acted like she wasn't interested. And I had to actually ultimately work that day, so she had to make her way up. So I had friends that were coming up as well, so I ultimately uh, asked them to pick her up. At my house, they didn't know her, she didn't know them, but here we are today and we're all great friends and we, you know, we all visit visit each other and so forth. So at the end of the day, um, we literally kind of been living our life together and ultimately we became entrepreneurs.
5: <laughs>
1: that's, that's a nice short version of the story. And then one day we woke up and we became business owners. There's a whole lot more turmoil a whole lot um, of of things that we would like to leave out because no one wants to talk about the ugliness behind being business owners, but we choose to focus on the beautifulness of it. And our newest venture, which we love more than anything, is The Real South Africa. So I told them my version of how it kind of came about, but I really think that your love for South Africa ignited my passion. So if you can just kind of give us a little bit about why you love South Africa so much. That would probably be more um, helpful than me telling them why I think you love it or why I love it. Cause it's always good to hear two people's stories about why they love the place that
2: they visit. Mm-hmm. How many times have you been there now?
1: I've uh, been there. I've been there. I, uh, yeah. I think I'm on my
2: second 13, passport. 14? Yeah. Somewhere there in about. Maybe oh, you you are
1: your second passport. Yeah. You are your second yes, passport already. That's, <laughs> okay. Well so, so tell so so go ahead. I mean I know why you love it, but i love when to hear you talk about why you love it. So tell tell us why you love it so much.
2: Okay. Well, you know, it's 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 easy to, you know, just watch T V and, you know, get a get a snapshot of, of what's going on in a country and what they're all about and so forth, or you could be told what they're all about and and all that. But my my love for South Africa stemmed way back because I like to travel and I like to go to different places and I like to talk to the people. And that goes all, with, all the way back in 1989 when I was um, in Germany and I would literally leave the barracks where I lived and I would go out where the, where the people were and have long exhaustive conversations about things that they did. So when I ultimately got very fortunate enough on the vice president's detail, when, um, when vice president Biden, decided to go to the World Cup, I got an opportunity to go. Never been, never been anywhere on the continent at all. What happened next was interesting. We Our plane lands, we get off the plane, and everybody greeted us. It was really nice. I mean, it was, like, extremely nice. And uh, they were saying, you know, how you doing, brother? How you doing? And, and I was like, wow, this is, this is different. So my biggest reason why I like it is because of the people. Clearly, the people. I'm sure they have some political issues going on. They're post apartheid. But the people were really awesome. They treated us. They treated me really well. Uh, I distinctly remember when um, my first night there, it was, you know, we had six hour time difference. So it was six o'clock here. It was late there. And I happened to go to a little restaurant. And, of course, I was just going to get my meal, sit by myself, and, you know, just kind of think about, you know, where I am. But by the time I sat down, some South Africans said, hey, you know, why don't you come sit with us? And um, and that was basically the the beginning of my odyssey with um, you know falling in love with South Africa. Um, I never felt like I was alone, and the culture is is amazing. And anybody that you meet, from a from a four year old to a to a to a fifty year old, would literally sit down and teach you and tell you about the culture and why they do things the way they do, um, and so forth. So that's kind of like. Uh, why I started falling in love with Africa and started, excuse me, South Africa and started going back. Because each time I go, I get the same thing and then I get a little bit more. Now, one of the the things I would love to bring up is that that me and Tasha discussed is, you know, and we want you guys to know is why we started the real South Africa, like the beginning, like the genesis. And it was funny because we actually and literally just sat together one day and was taking all kinds of questions from friends, taking all kinds of questions from people that we met that uh, asked us about South Africa. But it was very difficult to explain it, very difficult. So what we did next was we said, you know what, let's put together a tour. And let's let people see South Africa the way we see South Africa. What does that mean? When we go, we we, we enjoy all the amenities that are there. Uh, My niece asked me, she's about about 16 now, but she used to be, I remember when she was 12, and she asked me, is there anything over there? (laughs) And I started to chuckle because there's a lot there. And so we decided, you know, based off our experiences, based off what we have done, based off what we have seen, based off all the conversations that we've had with people, we decide to literally put together a trip, um, so anybody that's interested in going to Africa, or better yet, our friends, <laughs> and you know, and anybody that that asks, they can say, you know, if I go on this trip, I'm gonna get the same exact experience that Mark is talking about, and the exact same experience that Tasha talks about. So that is one of the the, the biggest reasons why we even created it, and people. You know, tend to uh, that has have that been with us have actually came back and they, and they they say the same thing that we say. Our life is changing. Their life is changing. Why? Because they got an opportunity to see something they never saw before. And since they've never seen it before, they, they're interested and they do their own research and they're asking more questions and it kind of, you know, lends them to go down a path that they generally would never go before, never were, I mean, never excuse me, they would never go before, and they enjoy themselves, so most of the people that we deal with and talk to, especially those that have been on the trip, are planning their second trip, and the biggest reason they're planning their second trip is because we have reverse season. In the U.S., uh, it'll be winter, and then in South Africa, it'll be summer, and the summers are different than they are here in Northern Virginia, D.C. area. They're, They're warm, they're hot, but they're not humid, so... It's, it's, just a, it's just a great time across the board. So at the end of the day, that's the real reason why we decided to put together this, this trip. And we want people to, to understand that it's not just going on a short little vacation, having a good time, doing a few things, and then coming back. Because when you're with us, you are literally with us, almost like friends. Actually, we will probably be friends out there a day. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because most people, that once they get there, they land at the International Airport, they're in Johannesburg, they generally, generally, after about a day, day and a half, they feel comfortable to the point to where sometimes they say, hey, can we go over here? Can we go over there? And then they ultimately just, by the end, at the end of their trip, they're a little sad. And some people, like I have, I've cried. So, that we the whole both genesis of exactly. So that's the whole genesis of the real South Africa. And if you have any questions, reach out to us.:
1: All right, so that's the version of why he loves South Africa. It is just a place that you have to experience for yourself, and so that's why we started. Um, hosting people over there. So we're getting ready to go into our next break. And when we return, we will hear from Dr. Joni Johnson. We will should discuss her book, My Blue Eyes, Viewing the World Through an Atypical Lens. Stay tuned.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voice, Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show. The Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
4: Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award winning, powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to the Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel.
5: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
3: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to
0: everyday news with the blantons want to find out more about the program send an email to info at now back to everyday news with the blantons
1: Hello and welcome back. We are now in the third segment of the show where we have the wonderful opportunity of listening and speaking to Dr. Joni Johnson. Now I've known Joni for about uh, Joni Johnson. I'm about to call her Joni now. Um, Just change her name. Uh, I've known her now for almost six years, and I can honestly say after finishing her book that there's a lot of things about my friend that I did not know. So um, I'm just going to let her introduce herself and uh, give a little bit about her personal background, and then I'm going to start asking some questions because that's what I do. Thank you, Tasha. I appreciate
7: it. And thank you and Mark for the opportunity um, to be on your show. I think this is pretty awesome what you guys are doing. So, um, you know, my background, uh, without getting into too much detail, I'm a physician. I'm a pediatrician. I am a um, army officer, army reserve at this time. So I'm a colonel um, in the army. Two more years to go. <laughs> anyway, count can't wait. can for that. Um, <laughs> so I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I have a practice in Stafford that uh, works with uh, kids 18 or 15 months to 99 years. So little kids to big kids. And we have um, She works people, with little humans to big humans. And um, our goal is really different so we're multidisciplinary and our job is to help people reach their fullest potential so most of my clients have adhd autism learning disabilities or mood disorders and um, i started this practice because i guess to sum it all up i am a learning disabled Position, um, I hate the word disabled because you know I can do everything I need to do. But do that's everything what, that you need uh, to do. think you know, The government you. calls it disabled, yeah, right. but whatever. They I just different. So whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so that's been you know my passion, and I just wanted to give back the way my medical school had given to
1: me, and so through the creation of our clinic, we've been able to do that. Now, the, uh, without giving too much away. Um, this, this entire uh, practice that you have now and um, is literally like your baby, like you thought about the whole approach to the way you're treating um, kids and adults a whole different way. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, I'm a physical therapist as well, but so we all talk about multidisciplinary approach, but you took that to a whole nother level. Like what was that about? Um, it was
7: born out of frustration. And it was born out of God's purpose Um, So the frustration part just came from being a pediatrician And it seems like if a child is not doing well in school The school always says to the parent Oh, go see your doctor As if doctors can fix everything Well, I mean Yeah, I mean, that's what we're supposed to be able to do But they would come and we're like Okay, well I'm, I don't know about school. And okay, I know ADHD, you know, so it's like in my wheelhouse, I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so my frustration came, I could do that piece. But I also could sense that there was more. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do the more piece. And so it was a matter of, okay, well, what is the school doing? Or let's go to have you tested or let's go see a psychologist or a therapist. And it seemed like every time I would send a patient out, they would come back with, a, oh yeah, he's got ADHD. Duh, I knew that. That's what I do. What about all the other stuff? And so it just was frustrating to me because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job of really helping mm-hmm. the client. They got in this loop and they continued to stay in the loop. Wherever they went, they told them to go someplace else. And then oh, they would so go they were someplace playing else. playing ping pong with them. Right, basically. exactly. So oh. the school would say, go to your doctor. And I'd say, okay, this is what I know. We'll go back to the school. And the school would say,
1: okay, we'll go back to your doctor. And the parents are like, okay, forget it. I'm just... Not doing anything. So, in your multidisciplinary approach, what other uh, specialties um, do you have that you work with to make sure that the kid gets a well-rounded multidisciplinary approach? Because that's a that's a term that we. As clinicians use often, but what right. that really means is that if I'm the physical therapist and you're the pediatrician, then I'm going to say, okay, for, for myself, I'm going to need what other discipline? Right. Like, what does that mean for you and your practice? Right.
7: So what I tried to do, and, and I built it based off of what my medical school did for me when they sent me for evaluation. Okay. And so... Uh, I tried to do was look at the whole person. Okay. And so from my perspective, I felt like you needed a doctor. Okay. And most of the time people go to a psychiatrist, you know, because I'm concerned about the brain and how you think Mm -hmm. and how you're learning. So I'm going to go to the brain doctor. The problem is, is that there can be other medical issues that can impact learning. So I feel like it's the pediatrician or the primary care provider who looks at the whole person. So we start with looking head to toe, whole person, Mm -hmm. make sure we're not missing anything medical Mm -hmm. that you know, a psychiatrist may not think about. Okay. Um, and then you have to look at how does the mind work. So you need a psychologist or somebody who can test the brain to tell you what's going on. Okay. Um, then I feel like you need a behavioral health specialist to understand how the individual is responding to whatever is going on. And then (laughs) lastly you need to interface with the school. So you need to understand what the school is doing. Wow. And so what we've put together was, you know, a doctor, general pediatrician Uh who has an understanding of um, developmental and behavioral issues. So that's more specific, like a neurodevelopmental pediatrician or just a neurodevelopmental doctor? It's like a developmental pediatrician. Okay, I got you. So autism lives, for example, with the developmental pediatrician. It doesn't live with the psychiatrist. They're not the ones really trained in it. And so I'm not a developmentalist. But I've been trained by developmentalists Mm -hmm. in the army Mm -hmm. to understand ADHD, autism, learning disabilities, mood disorders, and behavior problems. So that's all I want to focus on. Um, And so when you put that with a psychologist who can tell you how the brain works, a behavioralist, like a licensed professional counselor who can tell you how that impacts emotions, and then an educational advocate, somebody who understands the schools, in my mind, you've got all the pieces. And you can get all those pieces other places, but the problem is they don't talk. So I think what's actually most important is not what we
1: do, but how we do it. And we do it in a very coordinated fashion. So when you do that and you can communicate, you can actually all come together in one place and say, okay, this is what I found. This is what I found. How can we look at this entire puzzle of a child or person and say, how can we put these pieces together so that they can be, I don't want to use the word productive or functional, but basically give them strategies so that they can be um not necessarily not see you more often, but basically help their parents because if they're in here to see you, then it's gotta be a situation where they're frustrated, the parents Mm -hmm. are frustrated, they don't really know how to help their kid. They're not reaching their potential. That's yeah, that's that's
7: true. And the reality is is these folks aren't broken. They're just misunderstood. And they're misunderstood Uh, by themselves and by their parents. So (laughs) our job is to help them understand. Because if you understand, you know, that you struggle and why you struggle, then you can overcome the struggle.
1: So um, not to give too um, much of the book away, but the very first thing that stood out in, in, in my mind, and we'll get into the book in a little more detail and just a little bit about why you wrote it. Um, and actually, I'll wait. But the book came about just out of, an, out of more frustration? No, the book, well, yeah, maybe frustration. <laughs> the book came about
7: because people don't know when they need help.
1: And so So like people don't know what they don't know.
7: Right. People don't know what they don't know. And I, I wanted it to be relatable. You can you know, you see your child as a lazy child. Oh, He's just lazy. He's unmotivated. You know, she just wants to do what she wants to do. And you don't see that as a problem. But when you hear another person's story, then you can relate. You can say, oh, wow, my son does that. I do that. Oh, wow, I didn't know that was an issue. I struggle with that all the time. What do I do? And so I think by telling my story and other people's stories, it becomes relatable and people understand that, no, there's nothing wrong with your child, but they're just not going to respond in a typical way. And we might need to understand them
1: better so that we can help them to be successful. So when you when you hear parents that, For lack of a better term, are at their wits end with their kids, or they're at the school and they're saying, um, you know, I'm disciplining him at home, or I'm doing this at school, and and all those things are not working. Do you think it's sometimes a situation where the parents really just don't know what they don't know, or they really are thinking about how they were as children and thinking that well, my mom did this for me when I was having the same trouble. Mm -hmm. So it's got to work for him. Or if it's not working for him, then it's like, why is it not working for him? And then they come up with the term, which I love. I turned out just fine. Right. And then you have to say things like, are you really just fine? Right. Well, see, and you hit it the nail on the (laughs) head because, um,
7: There's a chapter in the book talking about normalized. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. the issue is, is when a parent sees themselves, Mm -hmm. I call it looking in the mirror. When you (laughs) see yourself, you don't see an issue. (laughs) <laughs> and so, when your child is doing the same I'm thing fine. you were doing, right? Even though you were in the principal's office all the time, you didn't get the best grades. You were struggling. You didn't get to play outside and be on the football team, <laughs> but you turned out okay. So yeah. that's you normalize that—that that that's how it's supposed to be. And the reality is, is you know, a lot of these things that I treat run in
1: families. Well, and that's what um, I was, and yeah. that's kind of the theme that I that I noticed in the book. That it was a situation where, when you talked about uh, normalizing behavior. You, you almost just kind of say, well, since this is how I was and I turned out fine, then my kid is ultimately off is okay. He'll just need the same thing I needed or more or times are different. Or I, when I went to school, they could paddle you. So they can't paddle him now. But even in those terms, uh, paddling a kid that's having trouble in school is
4: is, ne- is never it's never
1: well right. never the answer. Like right. that's not you can't make me learn by giving me a spanking. I'm right. sorry. Um so I find that part interesting and, and when we when we get to the next portion, I'll be really, really interested in hearing um um a little bit about your struggles and how you were able to get assistance and then ultimately use all of your powers for good, because that's what you did. And um that's what we'll talk about uh, when we come back. So we're going to go into another break, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Joni Johnson when we'll review more about her book, My Blue Eyes, Viewing the World Through an Atypical Lens.
3: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voice Voiceamerica Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
4: Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award winning, powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to the Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel.
5: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. stimulating talk it gets those
2: synapses in the brain firing really fast
3: all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are
0: listening to everyday news with the blantons want to find out more about the program send an email to info at now back to everyday news with the blantons
1: Welcome back. We are going to continue our conversation with Dr. Joni Johnson. Right now, we're going to get into the title of her book, My Blue Eyes Viewing the World Through an Atypical Lens. And please tell the people a little bit about why you chose that title.
7: Um, You know, it came about because as I sit oftentimes with my patients um, and try to explain what autism is, or how autism comes about, or how having autism does not mean that you're bad, it just means that you're different. I always felt like I needed to find some way to relate it. Um, and, and then I started actually, I created this thing called blue Eye syndrome. <laughs> um, and so, you know, because syndrome, it scares people, right? It does. It's so, like, what does that mean? Right. So before I would give a, a presentation or a workshop, I like for people to understand where I'm coming from, what mm-hmm. my perspective is. And so I always tell the story about blue eyes because blue eyes is something that we, I think most people in this world admire. We find beauty in blue eyes. I mean, people when people have those like glaring blue eyes. It's like, oh my gosh, those are just amazing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But they are atypical, they're a recessive gene, so recessive we, So did we normalize blue eyes? We have eyes? normalized it, right? Only 8% of the world's population, 8% of Eight the world's population has blue eyes. But we don't see blue eyes as being bad. We see it as being good, right? Absolutely. Right. But, you know, we have autism, which is, again, atypical, but yet, when we think of autism, we think of it as being bad. And the reality is, is there's beauty in autism, and there's beauty in ADHD. And I consider them to be a gift. And every time I tell parents that, they look at me like I'm crazy, right? Because society has determined these are bad things that you don't want. And so I think when I use blue eyes and the blue-eyed syndrome to get people to think about, wow, I am different, and I am atypical, mm-hmm. but yet there's beauty within me that people can appreciate, it helps me to help them to
1: understand the beauty of this within autism one of the things that you mentioned before um, and this is just along the lines of like parents that are having difficulties with their children which I find interesting you know I think that um, subconsciously and and not even you know really thinking about it we give our kids excuses so like you had mentioned earlier like I think part of the um, book you mentioned that you've been having headaches reading since you were like two. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in second, second grade, grade. second mm-hmm. grade. Um, I think the funny part about that is that when we hear children say things like, "I hate to read, does are we misinterpreting?
5: We're not that? hearing them. okay.
1: Right. we're not we're not hearing them
7: at
5: all. So, so
1: you believe that children literally tell you exactly what they're needing. We just don't know how to interpret what they're saying, right children
7: are the honest, most honest people in the world I, and hate, we the, think, I hate them, I'm no, just kidding <laughs> but you know what? we think that they're giving us a false narrative kidding, right, it's I'm like kidding. fake news, it's right. not fake news, they will tell, tell you, and even the autistic kid, or the kid with ADHD mm-hmm. um, or learning, they will always tell you, we choose not to listen, we talk about selective hearing for our children we've taught them how to have selective hearing because uh-huh. I know from my own experience, I would say, I have a headache, it hurts to read like people reading the car all day, I can't even look at two words in a car, and I'm like sick
1: I'm and, getting that
7: way now as I get older 40 40 but that's how I feel when I sit and read period and so I would say it hurts
1: I don't want to do it I hate to read but I hated it because I didn't understand it so what what do you think the response was initially because we do have children that say I don't like to read Mm -hmm. it hurts to read or I don't like math or whatever the case may be should those words be flags for parents to say, well, why do you hate to read? Right. There are a lot of flags. Um, The
7: biggest flag that really annoys me is when a child says, I need help. I have children who have ADHD, not my personal children, but patients who have said to their parents, I need help like those actual words they say i need help and the parents the parents will finally bring him in i've had one come in that i can think of off the top of my head she said you know i got tired of him asking for help so i brought him in and i said okay and then we started talking about medication and she said oh by the way i don't want him on any medication then why are you here was my response your child has begging asked, you for begging help. you for help, and you brought him in. You, and now, you don't, want to give and them now you don't want to give him help. And now you don't want to give help. And the key is, is that oftentimes parents think my child is lazy or unmotivated. Absolutely. There's no such thing as a lazy child. Let me say that again.
1: Wow.
7: There's no such thing as a lazy child. Wow. They are not born lazy. They are not developmentally lazy. But if they don't get the assistance they need to learn, and all people learn differently, then eventually they will stop trying. That's not being lazy. Lazy is, you know, I am not motivated. I don't want to. Kids uh, want to. You know, I always tell my parents about the five-year-old Johnny. I have a fictitious friend named Johnny yeah. who has ADHD, mm-hmm. who over and over again, we give them simple tasks. Come downstairs, pick up your shoes, put them in the closet. Mm-hmm. I've just set him up for failure because somebody with ADHD cannot do three simple tasks. They don't have the memory to don't remember. Don't be talking about me, telling my three. Face. Sorry. <laughs> Own it. Own it. I'm owning but, it. But, you know, I mean, they can't do it. So you have to say, come downstairs. Then they get there. Then you say, hey, Betty, can you pick up your shoes? And while they have the shoes in their hand, you say, put them in the closet. They just need to be communicated with differently. But if we say that over and over and over again, come downstairs, pick up your shoes, put them in a closet to somebody with ADHD, they're going to develop something known as oppositional defiance because they can't do it. They want to. They want to please, but they can't.
1: Wow. And they get in trouble. Wow. And after yeah. they get in trouble
7: trouble over and over and over again. Guess what? They stop trying. That's a smart kid. That's not a lazy kid. Wow. Why should I, because as an adult, if everything I do is going to be wrong, I'm not going to do do it. it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So basically, so a lot of the times inadvertently we set our kids up for failure. Absolutely. So the premise behind the book is basically to give people information on what they don't know. How mm-hmm. uh, they can help their kids. You've got tons of examples in there of people that that didn't know that they were also part of the pipeline for why their children are behaving or, or have some of the things that they have. Right. So, what would you suggest, like parents do? Like, what's the next step? Like, how can how can a parent decide that this is what they need to do?
7: Right. So, the first thing is to hear your child and to take them seriously. Um, the next step is to pay attention to where your child is struggling and pay attention to the whole story, not just a piece of it. Third, don't go to Google because you go to Google and you're going to, whatever you try to Google, you're going to find it. Um, and you may just find part of the story instead of the whole story. And then the, the last part is to go see your doctor. And if your doctor poo poo's you and tells you, you know, no, you don't have an issue, Then go to another doctor, find somebody else, because unfortunately, um, just like we talked about being multidisciplinary, everybody doesn't know everything. And Mm -hmm. so your doctor may not understand ADHD or autism or whatever the case may be. Don't stop. If the doctor says he or she is fine and you don't feel like they're fine, keep looking. So and there
1: I, are resources in the back of the book, too. So, so you suggest that parents that really feel like their kids need the help to continue to seek out that help and not just let, even if it's a doctor you've had forever, that you absolutely trust that you basically continue to seek out the knowledge to get your kid the help that they need. Absolutely. Because at some point, those kids are going to develop compensatory mechanisms that could potentially put them in a situation where they drop out of school or they don't learn anything actually get worse. They fall into depression, then you have other issues. So if you can uh, get in front of those things by listening to the child, then you you should be setting yourself up for for success. Right. The
7: consequences of missing a learning disability or ADHD or autism or behavior problem, the consequences are great. And you don't want that to happen. And if you don't mind me doing a quick plug, mm-hmm. um, I have a new app coming out called Behavior Check. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not quite out yet. It'll be out probably in the next couple of weeks. But as part of that app, there is an Ask Dr. Joni section. And so if you don't know where to go and you're not feeling satisfied and you can't find the resource anyplace else, through that app, you could actually send me an email and tell me what your issue is, and I can personally direct you to um, to get you the services you
1: need. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us today. We discussed a lot today with Dr. Joni Johnson. We learned about her disabilities that she kind of glanced over, but you can read more about that in her book, My Blue Eyes, which will be available in just a couple of weeks. Uh, The link is up on our page. We want to thank Mark for giving us his side of the story and talking to you guys about why we love South Africa so much. We thank you in advance for tuning in. And until next time, again on Monday at the same time, we want you to... Educate yourself, and please be sure to have fun in the process. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Everyday News with the Blantons. We hope you've enjoyed today's program, and we'll tune in again next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a nice week.